This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 5, Episode 2. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by Excess Sites. Today is Wednesday, January 5th, 2022, as of the recording of this episode, and I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by our founder and pres- company president, Jacob Paulson, the man, yes, the legend. The legend. I'm a legend and nobody, but I'm here. <laughs> Well, we are glad to have you with us and uh, happy to do this episode with you today. Today, we're talking about dry fire, three challenges and seven solutions. I think this will be uh, uh, an episode that's relevant to just about anybody. Uh, some of it might be maybe basic stuff for some of you, uh, some of you more educated uh, listeners or viewers out there, but I think there's going to be some valuable content regardless of who you are that comes out of today's show. So I look forward to diving deep on this subject with Jacob here. But first, you should know that our episode sponsors today are first our title sponsor, Excess Sites. Excess Sites are makers of a variety of site options for your handgun needs. They also make a lot of other products and options for shotguns and other products as well. Uh, AR-15s even. I think they've got a, a, a front sight you can replace on your AR AR-15 front sight as well. So Lots of cool product options from Excess Sites. I appreciate their approach to developing high visibility, high contrast front sight solutions, especially if you run iron sights only on your gun. Super, super important to have a very visible, easy to pick up front sight in your visual, uh, uh, you know, in, in what's actually called your foveal vision. How about that? That's the area you're actually looking directly towards within about three degrees. When you have a high contrast front sight in your sight picture, it makes it really easy to aim your gun. Whether you use a front sight uh, focused approach or a target focused approach. So check out excess sights and all their options made in the USA, made in in their in their their actual facility they're in texas in the fort worth texas area so american business supporting american workers um i'm pretty sure they hire or have on their staff veterans i don't know that 100 i don't know if that's one of their like big talking points but it wouldn't surprise me so check out excess sites all right because they're a great company and great crew great people excesssites.com jacob you're 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 smirking laughing chuckling something did i say something funny I think, I think it's funny that you're like, they probably hire veterans. I mean, sounds like they probably would. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> well, I mean, how, how common is it in our like industry to like most companies, if you have more than like 10 employees, you probably have veterans working for you. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, we're, we're, we're about 10 employees and we have a couple of veterans. So yeah, exactly. You see my point. Uh, now I got to go like, I, I'm going to go to their website and I'll answer in the episode <laughs> here later. I got to answer the question. All right. Other episode sponsor is Ready Up Gears Laser Dot Trainer. That is the training ammunition cartridge that fires a laser beam in lieu of a bullet. Uh, if you're going to use particularly some kind of dry fire software, like, uh, uh, Jeez, uh, LSR. <laughs> I can't, for some reason, cert kept coming to my mind. Cert, 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 cert. <laughs> uh, the 
laser-activated shot reporter software from lasrapp.com, you're going to want to use something like the laser dot trainer. I find that is hugely valuable if you are wanting to take your dry fire training to the next level, especially if you care about measuring performance and progress. And if you're doing dry fire, I think you should care, care about measuring performance and progress. So check out the laser dot trainer from ready up gear, go to readyupgear.com. Just scroll down on the product on the main product page there. You'll see the laser dot trainer. You have your choice of what? 380, nine millimeter, 40 and 45. Correct. Those four. And, uh, yeah, pick up, pick your option, get to work, do your dry fire and combine it with software feedback to measure your progress. Now, if all you do is throw it in your chamber and shoot a laser beam on the wall, well, I'll tell you there's one valuable aspect to that, and that is actually paying attention. It's tricky, though, because you don't want to pay too much attention to it. Because Your sights and your sight pictures is really what's ultimately important. But if you occasionally will pay attention to whether you're seeing a lot of movement or wiggle or, or a slash or dash in that laser beam, that's, that's a little bit of feedback for you that you are moving the gun a lot when you're pressing the trigger. So that's the like number one thing you got to get figured out as a as a trigger presser. So that's one thing, but the software combination aspect hugely valuable. Check it out. Go to readyupgear.com and pick up a laser dot trainer today. Common clay on YouTube's absolutely correct. It's cheaper than going to the range. Ammo isn't cheap. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why we're talking about dry fire today because it's yeah, I'll tell you this much. Even when ammunition wasn't what we would call today expensive, dry fire was still very important to do and was still cheaper than ammo. Uh, even if you go back 20 years when you could buy a box of 9mm for like 5 or 6 bucks, dry fire was still cheaper than ammo. <laughs> <laughs> so we certainly think dry fire practice is important uh, in your development as a shooter. I know it has been huge for me. I I do shoot a lot. Uh, I shoot far more than the average gun owner in America, I would say, uh, particularly over the last five years. But I think people would be surprised how much skill I grew or developed primarily doing dry fire only for... I mean, I, when I say only, like where my balance was significantly weighed in favor of dry fire and doing not that much live fire. Like I would say if you go back eight years ago, yeah, probably eight years would be about a good, maybe nine years, somewhere in that ballpark. I maybe went to the live fire range four times a year at that point. I don't know. I don't really remember. I don't have a log book from that time, time frame, but it would be less than 10 for sure. That probably would surprise some of you. But I was still practicing and still working very hard on getting good with my handgun in my hand. So a lot of that came as a result of dry fire practice. You can do a lot of work with effective dry fire. And here's the here's the crazy thing to me, Jacob, is that I don't think I did dry fire all that effectively eight years ago compared to what I do now because I know a lot better. But what I did still was effective enough to grow and develop my skill. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think the case for dry fire has been made many times over, you know, save, save, save on ammo and develop some skills 
for me, there's just a convenience factor. You know, if, if we're going to talk about, if I'm going to add something to that conversation, it's just convenient. <laughs> going to the range, buying targets, you know, getting a bay, putting it up, putting on the ear pro, the eye. Like, there's just, it's just inconvenient. Now, that doesn't mean I don't do it. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's pretty, dry fire is extremely convenient. I can put the kids to bed and get some 15 minutes of practice in, and, and it's not a pain in the butt. Yeah. And you just nailed it. Like that, that is my most common routine is once the kids have gone to bed, I, I, that, that is my number one. If you were to do a, a, a some kind of statistical graph or chart of times I dry fire, probably 90% of it is within about 20 minutes after the kids go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, maybe my wife is, I don't know, working on a project or, putting some things in order, the kids are in bed and I'm like, well, I'm going to sneak off and do 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes of dry fire. And, and, and so that'd be like just one little tip, like always just try to have some kind of routine because that makes it easier, more predictable and more likely to happen. Today that we are talking about three uh, challenges to dry fire and, uh, and seven solutions that we're going to give you to help deal with some of those challenges. Uh, there's probably more challenges. There's probably more solutions, but these are going to be the, the, the focus of our, our topic here today. Um, I'll, I'll be straight. We'll, we'll go ahead and include an article in the show notes of this episode, uh, which was actually more specifically geared towards Glocks. But when you actually read the article, almost all the solutions uh, with the, the exception of like one of them, will work for like any gun pretty much certainly any semi-automatic handgun yeah there's probably a few limitations so anyway um so we're gonna give you a bunch of solutions to some of these dry fire challenges where should we start jacob i think we need to outline the challenges you know the the idea when i say challenges what i mean is that when i conduct dry fire i'm i'm attempting to maximize its value to me as a shooter in, in building skills, right? So these challenges that we're identifying today, these three challenges we're going to discuss are the things that are decreasing the ROI of my dry fire, that are that are barriers to me maximizing my return on investment. Now, obviously, what what is a challenge and what's a barrier is also going to vary based on your mission. Right. For example, if if my objective in a given dry fire session is just to practice the micro drill of, of draw, you know, I don't even going to press a trigger, then I have significantly less barriers that are preventing me from getting a return on that, that investment of time than if I'm doing something more complex. So with that in mind, though, I think we need to outline what are the what are the challenges, what are the barriers that are that are causing dry fire to be less valuable than life than live fire potentially. And, and, and kind of outline those so that we can discuss how we overcome them with some tools. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the first thing here is like, you know, just to, just to hit challenge number one uh, is making sure that we're doing dry fire safely, right? Like the number one thing, the, the easiest way to get started in dry fire is to dry fire with our actual carry pistol or whatever gun that we're using or that we're likely to use, whatever that is. Uh, I have, even though I am a pretty avid competitive shooter, 
I would say that well, at least certain aspects of dry fire are still very heavily biased towards my carry gun than my competition gun. And there's a reason for that. And, and, and let me explain it. It's a very simple logic. I, I generally wake up every day, get ready for the day, get dressed, and ca- you know, start carrying a concealed carry pistol, whatever it is, from the morning all the way till about the time I go to bed at night. So I'm usually carrying typically somewhere between 12 and 16 hours a day. All right. So like right now, I'm carrying my P320 in a holster, appendix position, which is my typical means and method. And, uh, you know, it's the typical gear I carry in the typical position. And so for me to do a dry fire practice session, it's really simple and straightforward for me to do that. I, in a safe manner, I draw out my pistol. I unload it, set aside the ammo, put, you know, put that somewhere where it's not going to come into the picture uh get you know get mistakenly inserted into the gun as i'm dry firing <clears throat> although we'll talk about one uh method or product that also helps ensure you don't have that problem uh it, it, it let's say if you do actually accidentally pick up a, a loaded magazine stick it in your gun well there's there's one one thing you could do to ensures that that still wouldn't be a problem even if it did <clears throat> happen but i unload the gun put my ammo away uh, and boom, I'm off doing dry fire, right? In a safe direction with my carry gun. But there's not really much other, you know, I've got us, uh, my, my dry fire dojo, if you will, is in my basement and I have targets that are up, posted up all the time. They, they, you know, they get moved around sometimes, but they're always up. So within about a minute, I'm up and I'm running and I'm doing dry fire. For me to do dry fire that's competition focused requires me to disarm my carry gun, put on my inner belt for my competition belt because I, I, I don't like to have my belt slip around. So I put my inner belt on, then I put my competition belt on, then I get my competition gun out. I make sure it's unloaded. And, you know, so it's, it's like a, it's a process. It's like five minutes just to get set up for my competition gear. So I'd still do way more like especially draws which are very very important to be able to do in a a self-defense context i it's still heavily biased to defensive uh uh, shoot you know to my defensive gear Um, and very simple logic as to the reason why so um anyway point is we got to start with number one like the easiest way to get started is to dry fire practice with our actual carry gun or the gun that we use the most well, that's great, and that's that's awesome that we can do that. Uh, but there's the inherent risk of that gun could be potentially dangerous, right? So we got to make sure it's unloaded. We got to make sure it's safe. We got to make sure we're doing dry fire in a safe manner. I mean, how many stories have we come across through the years, Jacob, where somebody accidentally fires off around? I mean, we did the whole negligent discharge uh, uh, story article, d- d- you know, data collection thing, you know, thing a couple of years ago. Tons of stories where people are just, you know, trying to do something in the comfort of the home. And next thing you know, they're firing a bullet through, through the house. Yeah. I, and that's, that's why this is, you know, barrier or challenge number one that we have to solve. Right. And that's the safety aspect because safety in this case is first. And, and that just simply means we need to do what's necessary to render the gun temporarily inert. That's, that's my feeling, right? I think there's plenty of people out there just feel like, Oh, I just got, you know, unload, triple check, separate the gun and the ammo, and I'm fine. And I don't think that's a terribly um, bad approach, 
But for me, I, I am inclined to believe that the best way to conduct dry fire, the best way to, to absolutely fully overcome this specific challenge of safety is to render the gun temporarily inert or use an inert tool so that I, I, want, it Im- I want it to be impossible for there to be an error. That's what I'm trying to achieve. And so as we talk about our seven solutions today, we're going to talk about seven solutions that all you know, overcome this, this first barrier, which is rendering the gun temporarily inert where possible. Yep. Yep. So challenge number one. All right. Yep. Um, number two. Yes. Getting accuracy or other related feedback. So traditionally, if we just grab a, an empty gun that we've double checked and we've separated the ammo, et cetera, et cetera, and we, you know, pull it out and press the trigger, we're not getting any feedback about accuracy. Now, it might be that I'm conducting a dry fire session where I don't need accuracy-related feedback or time-related feedback or whatever other feedback we're looking for. Generally, those would be the two things, accuracy and time. Um, so it's, it's conceivable I just don't need feedback for, for the thing I'm, I'm working on. But often we do want that feedback. We do want to know, and well, am I hitting my target? Am I anywhere close? Um, is is am I doing it within the a time constraint that's pushing my ability and, and showing progress and and you know creating the stress that I want or whatever other thing that is we're trying to achieve? So I think that when we look at dry fire and trying to make it effective and, and maximize our ROI, the second challenge we need to overcome is getting the feedback that we need. In live fire, we traditionally get feedback from the target. Uh, in terms of accuracy, and, and we use a shot timer to get feedback in terms of time. In dry fire, we're not going to punch any holes in anything, and we're, we, you know, probably you don't have a shot timer that's going to pick up your dry fire clicks. So that leaves us with that challenge that we need to overcome. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that, that's obviously one of the reasons why we enjoy live fire so much because we get that. I mean, part of it literally is a, uh, a serotonin release. You know, it's it's that that happy chemical that that dopamine boom bam hits. <laughs> awesome, we feel good because that instant gratification, instant feedback, instant results. We did X, we got Y, Z is happy face, right? Smiles abound. So uh, that's one of the reasons why Life Fire is so great. Having that. I'm aiming here. Bullet went there. I'm happy about that. That that feedback loop is a good thing. Harder to do in dry fire. However, there are solutions for that. And there are some other things you should know about dry fire practice related to getting feedback as you're doing dry fire. So, all right. Good. You did a good job covering uh, challenge number two. Uh, and you made a point in your article that you wrote that you said you don't always need that feedback to achieve your objective. And that's true. There's, and I'll say this much, I'll say this much, even in live fire, I do, um, I follow the, we'll call it the Steve Anderson method. Although there's others that, that have popularized the same kind of attitude or, or method. And that is that you do, um, when you're practicing, there's accuracy mode practice, there's speed mode practice, and then there's match mode or real mode, depending on, you know, what context or who you're talking to. Um, the point is that there's, there's times when you want to practice primarily or only accuracy-related things. There's times in, pl- in a place to practice only speed-related things. And then there's a time and place to put it all together, right? So, 
in dry fire, one of the best things you can work on is that speed aspect, especially if it's speed of getting your hand to the gun, gun out of the holster on target, uh, speed of, you know, you can even work on the speed that you press the trigger and working on minimizing sight deviation as you do that. Okay. So you can work on all kinds of speed related things. You can even work on uh, transition speed all on dry fire. So dry fire is an environment where it, it is biased towards working on speed versus accuracy. It is possible to work on both. Uh, there are certainly things that carry over into the accuracy department. Um, even when you are just working primarily on speed related things, but uh, it's a great place to work on the speed component. There's no penalty too. Like you can push the envelope um, as long, you know, again, as long as everything else, all the other procedures, safety related uh, uh, components that you've, as long as you followed that, you know, that you are practicing in a safe manner and you have a safe gun or, or dry fire practice tool, then there's no penalty for going fast. Whereas there's certain things we don't necessarily want to do at the range, at least until we're ready, right? Or or there is a potential for a penalty at the range if we push things beyond our capability and then we have an accident. So anyway, something to think about. Yep. All right. Challenge. Oh, go ahead. Challenge number three, resetting the trigger for multiple shots. Yeah. Another thing that's not always going to apply. Right, I might be conducting some sort of exercise of drill where I don't need multiple shots. Um, I also might be conducting my exercise with a gun that's a double action gun uh, that you know it resets automatically. Though that you know we could argue about that as as well as far as it being realistic. But a lot of us today are using striker fire uh, guns or perhaps a single action only gun where you only get one trigger squeeze and then you know you got to manually rack that slide in order to uh, reset the trigger to be able to get another shot off. So Mm -hmm. that's another potential challenge or barrier to us maximizing our return on investment in dry fire. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Uh, And and that is the, one of the top things I think that comes to shooters minds when they start thinking about dry fire practice and primarily if they're running like a striker fire gun, like that is definitely a like top of mind, like, uh, you know, like it'd be great if I didn't have to constantly reset my gun so I could keep practicing. And I totally agree with that. Although there are some solutions for that when we're talking sure. about those. Sure. That's, again, that's all, kind of the whole point of this episode is here are three common challenges or, or, or things that, you know, people struggle with maybe a little bit in some cases. And now we're going to provide to you some considerations, some, some options, some solutions. Well, I have a bonus challenge if I can real quick, even yeah, though I said, I said there was going to be three, but a comment here from one of our live viewers mentioned, uh, you know, worried about doing damage to the gun. And so I think that, you know, we could fairly have a bonus challenge to overcome and that is ensuring we don't damage our gun. I think that's, that's a valid concern. Certainly, right. We don't want to conduct any dry fire that, that breaks something. Um, so I think specifically when we talk about doing damage in dry fire, generally we're referring to the idea of damaging a firing pin. Uh, the firing pin on a gun is designed to strike some sort of very specific type of surface in the case of live ammunition, a primer, right? A primer cup and, uh, in dry fire, we don't have that generally. And so there's certainly talk about that doing damage to the firing pin. I've, I've actually changed my mind about this several times, Riley. I remember a time when I kind of uh, followed the crowd and believing that, hey, you know, doing any dry fire 
um, without something for that firing pin to strike is for sure going to damage your gun. And then I remember kind of changing my mind and leaning toward, you know, oh, no, no, for sure. that's It's not going to do any damage. Like, that's an old myth. Like, you know, get off your horse, people. It's fine. And now I'm actually kind of coming back a bit to understanding that it probably the amount of dry fire that average people conduct is not going to do any damage to, to the firing pin. But I certainly do know people now who conduct enough dry fire, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of trigger presses that they have damaged firing pins that they've been through them or other components of it or other components. Sure. Sure. So people often think uh, the firing pin, the firing pin, pin. I mentioned as the most common, right? So, so that's a fair like bonus challenge that we're trying to overcome, right? By, by with the seven solutions we're going to present, we would like to also leverage those to overcome the potential challenge of damaging my gun. I think it's valid. Yeah. 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 You know, to, to touch on that just a little bit, just with my own perspective, uh, I, I tend to, I mean, I agree with a lot of what you said uh, as far as like, you know, years ago, if you'd asked me about dry fire, Ooh, I want to be careful with that. Cause I don't want to, you know, damage my gun or I got to, I have to, I must use snap caps. So I don't want to damage my gun. Uh, I I can say with several of my guns, both Glocks and Sigs, and also with a Springfield XD, that actually one of which I still have, um, is actually my first competition gun was an XDM uh, five 5.25. Uh, all three of those guns are all three of those brand. I mean, actually, in the case of the Sigs and the Glocks, it's spread across multiple models from those companies i can say i've done thousands and thousands and thousands of trigger presses on those guns without anything in the chamber without snap caps uh etc and and haven't seen any appreciable damage or or issues created by that now that said i am also well not currently certified I've, my certifications have lapsed but i'm a glock armor and a p320 armor and and that kind of thing and i'm pretty well acquainted with these guns and i'm regularly checking my guns and inspecting them and maintaining them and i have components that do get replaced and some of which may you know where the dry fire will have contributed to that wear and tear and a lot of it where the live fire has contributed to that wear and tear you know thousands and thousands of rounds Let, let's just understand that anytime you are Operating a firearm, whether live or dry fire, it is causing some wear and tear on some of the various parts and components, right? Like whether that's uh, a number of the springs that are contained within that firearm, uh, whether it's uh, the firing pin itself or striker assembly, uh, whether that's the trigger itself or trigger components, you know, so there's there's wear and tear. I mean, you see my competition guns. I do a lot. I, I, I'm a little bit heavier bias towards working on reload practice with my competition gun because that's more relevant in the competition that I do. And so the mag magwell openings of my pistols get chewed up from all the all the reload practice I do. Here's what the the perspective I would communicate to listeners and viewers is that yes, over time things are going to take a beating and a wear and tear. Uh certainly that's that's a possibility. If you're doing so much dry fire that you are wearing stuff out or breaking stuff, then you know what? What is the cost of fixing those things? 
and spread that out, out spread that out over the lifetime and the many thousands of repetitions that you've obtained from that and honestly the cost of those wear and tear items is very very low and i would say that the value received for the practice in exchange for the wear and tear and the cost associated was well worth it yeah i mean i think a person's got to keep it in perspective right live fire also wears out the gun so <laughs> like yep. using a gun wears out a gun. It's just a machine and it's going to need to be tuned up and, and maintained properly. That, I think that's the correct perspective yep. here. Yep. Perfect. Awesome. Nailed it. All right. All right. So we got our three challenge, our three core challenges, which are, you know, safety, making sure that we render the gun temporarily inert is the way I word that. Cause I think that's, that's the perspective I have. That's the approach I have. Uh, number two, getting accuracy related or other related uh, feedback from, from the dry fire session. And number three, resetting the trigger for multiple shot drills or exercises. And then our bonus thing we talked about, you know, making sure we don't do unnecessary uh, damage to the gun when conducting dry fire. So with those challenges in mind, I think we, we are going to present seven solutions. And these solutions are all, uh, to be you know, transparent up front, tools, products, things that people can buy and use to make their dry fire sessions more effective by overcoming one or more of the challenges we've outlined. Yep. Well, the first item we have on our list, and and we're going to go through these pretty much in a, from least amount of cost to greatest cost. All right. So the least cost solution is the barrel block. Yep. Good old barrel block. $12.99. $12.99. $12.99. $12.99. I mean, if, if I invented barrel block, I, it would cost more because <laughs> I'm, I'm that kind of a business guy. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the inventors of barrel block, their objective was to go out and stop negligent discharges. And mm-hmm. I think <laughs> yeah, we're going to do a separate episode later. So I'm trying not to like go off on a tangent about safety because I, I, we're, I'm planning a more uh, in-depth conversation about safety during dry fire mm-hmm. for a later future episode. But, <laughs> but man, I, I know people who are extremely experienced, who have experienced, you know, who've, who've conducted a lot of dry fire in their lives, never thought it would have happened to them. They're very knowledgeable and they've had negligent discharges while conducting dry fire practice. So the barrel block absolutely guarantees that, that you can't have a negligent discharge, right? It's simple to install. You lock the slide back, insert this thing in through the ejection port directly into the barrel through the chamber, you know, via the chamber. And, you know, it plugs up. It's caliber specific. So it's a nice, good, uh, tight fit. The stick part sticks out the end of the muzzle. So now I have a visual reminder. I can see that. And that tells me my gun is temporarily inert. My gun just went from being a potentially dangerous tool to a heavy metal object. You know, it's like a hammer at this point. So barrel block it. That um, It also creates a striking face. If you're worried about the damage, the firing pin thing we were talking about, then this, this would overcome that. So this overcomes challenge number one in that it absolutely renders the gun completely inert as long as the barrel block is installed. Mm-hmm. Barrel block comes with a mag block. You can't buy barrel block without mag block. So when you buy barrel block, you're going to get three mag blocks. And the mag blocks are also caliber specific. They go in the magazine, they push the follower down, and they prevent slide lock. So now you can conduct some specific 
dry fire exercises that may involve like reloads or malfunction clearing. Uh, and, and you can work the slide and that's also going to be more realistic. You're not going to get, you know, artificial slide lock because you don't have any ammo in the gun. So I think barrel block overcomes certainly our first challenge, our safety challenge very effectively. Uh, it, it also adds some other realism ROI kinds of things, though it certainly does not give us multiple trigger presses. It doesn't solve that third challenge we talked about, and yep. it doesn't give us the feedback related thing we were talking about in challenge number two. So, so barrel block for 1299, which is what it's going for in most places, you certainly can solve our first challenge very efficiently. Yeah. And frankly, if you do dry fire, which should be all of you, you should have a barrel block. Yeah. Period. Yeah, I can't even yeah, this like barrel block is the only thing I can think of that in my opinion, without exception, should be sold with the gun. <laughs> like if yeah. I had my way, I would go remove the stupid lock that <laughs> comes with guns in this country. That stupid yeah, Riley's holding one up. It's like this dumb cable lock thing with a like I would I I I don't know I I just anyway I would I would replace that with a barrel block immediately. It, barrel block is in my opinion the only thing that I can absolutely without hesitation just say should be sold with every gun in America. You know why it's sitting on my desk the, no. the, the cable lock thing uh, because I was actually picking it oh. earlier today <laughs> just, just to demonstrate you a lock how to practice like, with. Just to demonstrate how like stupid of a lock these are, like it takes like nothing. To uh, that lock. Basically, I could put tension on it and then just take a standard uh, pick and just and rake it through there and pop it open. <laughs> I mean, that, that's complete waste of stupid. space and money. I just yeah, but but that aside, the point is, <laughs> a gun should come with a barrel block. Should like, come just, with a barrel block. I am one hundred percent with you there. Yeah. Yeah. And boy, that'd be that'd be good for business to you know have a yeah, deal. That with, would be fantastic. You know, we can go like get maybe we should lobby uh, Congress to require barrel blocks sold That's with every a great fire. Idea. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, huge fan of barrel block. Uh, you know, I've used it many. I mean, I I still use barrel. I I use a barrel block uh, every time I dry fire. Every time. Okay, and it it is an absolute uh, valuable tool from a safety perspective. Sorry, I had a call come in there and forgot to uh it's from my my kid's school, emergency number. Well, they're they're home, so it's not an emergency, you know, in terms of I got of, the same call. So, <laughs> it's it's something our our kids, me and Riley's kids go to the same school district. And and my favorite, most of the time when we get the automated call, it just tells you to check your email. Yeah, yep, yep. Hello parents, <laughs> please check your email inbox for an important email about such and such school district. Thank you. Goodbye. It's like thank you for the, you know, robot call to tell yeah. me to check my email. <laughs> Whatever. All right. Uh, okay. So moving on. Um, Glock e-trainer is the second item we have. Now, uh, I recognize this is very specific to Glocks and Glock only. Glocks only. Uh, there is not an equivalent product for other models of guns out there. And so that's that's unfortunate. Um, but we have to mention it because it is a solution. And Glocks are still one of the most popular guns out there and perhaps the most prevalent modern semi-automatic handgun out there in America. So this is a product that applies to a lot of you and it's relatively inexpensive. So the barrel block we mentioned is 1299. The Glock e-trainer comes in at 2444. 
in, in case people aren't you know entirely aware, concealedcarry.com is the the you know we have the distribution rights for North America of the Glocky trainer. It's a product that's uh, designed and invented by a dude not doesn't even live in America. Uh, yeah, the, and we're they can't be manufactured in America, as it were. So they're imported, which is why one of the reasons why they're twenty four forty four, yep. and not less expensive than that. Yep. But um, anyway, it's a it's a very clever tool. The Glocky trainer it doesn't require the disassembly of the gun. You sl- lock your slide back. You slide this thing onto the rear of your slide, kind of over the slide plate, kind of, and into the grooves, the rear grooves on the on the slide of your Glock. And it just blocks the the connector. I'm, I'm not even going to use the right words because it's just not my thing. And I am a Glock armor, and I still don't know the words. But it it, it blocks the sear, I think, from the connector or something, it's, something. Yeah, it's the it's the connector. So yeah, uh, it, it it's the part of the pistol that, uh, as the Glock cycles, it basically resets the trigger. You know, people, if you're familiar looking at the underneath side of a Glock, there's this little bump out shape piece on the underneath side towards the rear near the sear and that piece interfaces with the connector and as the slide cycles that piece of metal gets pushed out and then back in and that resets the trigger so the glocky trainer interrupts that component and so what that means is that the trigger doesn't do its traditional reset like what you're accustomed to so instead, with the Glocky trainer installed, you get a trigger that it, it, it does the full travel, travel. distance. You know, the, it, it manipulates. But here's the here's the kicker: is that it doesn't ever give you a click um, because that connector is interrupted. It can't actually reset the trigger. So what you're actually feeling as you press the trigger with a Glocky trainer installed is the spring pressure. From the striker, because the striker is always it remains in in uh, uh, contact with the, the the sear, which is attached directly to the trigger. In the case of a Glock, so you're just feeling that spring pressure. So you're you're, you're basically getting the full 5.56 pounds of pressure on the trigger that you normally get. You're just not getting the wall and the click and that kind of thing. So you're you're basically trading off. Uh, you're 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 trading off one thing to get another thing. You're you're trading. You're you're not getting the click, the actual tactile function of the trigger in exchange for a trigger that you can manipulate repeatedly in dry fire. So there, and, and I would say there's a place in time where you want to get a click, and there's a place in a time when you want to do manipulations. Yeah, thank you for giving some technical explanation because I thought it was relevant. But but yeah, I mean the short answer here for me is that the Glocky trainer. It certainly achieves number one, by the way. It overcomes challenge number one because with the Glock E-Trainer installed, the gun is temporarily inert. It it can't fire. Um, I still am inclined to stick a barrel block in it myself like because I like the visual indicator of the the barrel block sticking out the muzzle. But the Glock E-Trainer will prevent the gun from discharging. The firing pin doesn't come forward. It it, it just, anyway. Mm -hmm. So it, it overcomes challenge number one. Um, challenge number two, we talked about getting feedback, visual, time, or other types of feedback. And the Glocky Trainer does nothing to overcome challenge number two. It just doesn't have any impact on that. Um, but then challenge number three, getting multiple trigger presses. Well, depending on what you need out of those multiple trigger presses, the Glocky Trainer certainly does solve that problem. If I just need to you know, manipulate that trigger and keep keep my sights you know, steady or any number of other things I might be practicing, 
then that can be very efficient. Um, I, I do hear a lot of people will poo-poo on the Glock D trainer because they think they I think people overemphasize for the most part the importance of feeling the take up the break and the reset. Um, but there's a place for that, like you said, but there's certainly a plenty of situations where your person just can be fine. Just put the Glock E trainer in and you're going to get the value of what you need to get out of it. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And product that doesn't apply to you non Glock users. Um, but towards the end of the episode toward, you know, as a, as a bonus solution, I'm going to provide some other ideas or solutions that will apply to everybody. All right. All right. Let's move on to option three or solution number three. This is the laser dot ammo cartridge from uh, ready up gear. We mentioned specifically, and as a sponsor of this episode, I know shameless plug, uh, you know, ready up gear is associated with concealed um, But the laser dot trainer is an ammunition training cartridge for dry fire. Uh, it, 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 this is, you know, your common, uh, what's another common name for these things, but laser ammo, yeah, laser ammo made it for a long time. Um, but yeah, so you put this cartridge in your chamber, has a little button on the rear that's struck by the striker or the firing pin and little tiny, tiny, tiny batteries inside that thing that when that button is struck, boom, illuminates a, a laser, which goes right down the bore and impacts a target a wall whatever so uh, you know i've i've used a variety of similar products through the years uh, very happy by the way with our ready up gear laser dot trainers also because a little known thing for you people is that we also sell the uh, uh what do you call it so it's a maintenance kit or the, yeah the maintenance kit yeah it's a it's like a buck fifty. You pay more for shipping than you do for the actual product. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's replacement batteries and O rings. Yeah. yeah, because over time, especially if you use these religiously uh, and regularly, you're going to wear out the O rings that are that go around the perimeter of the laser dot cartridge, and the batteries obviously are going to wear down. So, you know, I, I, in the past, I've had frustrations with buying other similar products and be like, ah, oh, well, now where do I get the batteries? And you go to their website and they have them, but they're sold out you know, out of stock or whatever. And you're like, oh, you know. Or they're overpriced. I've seen them at ridiculous yeah. prices. Six bucks, eight bucks, 10 yeah. bucks for a similar maintenance kit. Anyway, just wanted to mention that in case people want to know. Um, yep. You know, you can pick up a couple of those maintenance kits and have this thing last years for many, many thousands of repetitions of dry fire. Anyway, so uh, I, I still am of the belief that the most valuable way to use a laser dot trainer is in conjunction with some sort of dry fire software. And there's a variety of them out there. I'm quite, I'm biased towards one of them. You guys probably know that. The Laser app or LASR, particularly the the newest version, the Laser X version, because I can use it with my iPhone, my iPad, and my computer, and my, you might, my kids, you know, Amazon Fire tablets. You know, as long as I have a internet connection, connected browser, I just log into the LaserX software, boom, I'm up and running and I'm doing dry fire with measurable data. So I'm going to argue, Jacob, that the LaserDot ammo cartridge is the first product on our list 
where you can get accuracy-related feedback. Now, some of the, the more obvious uh, solution there people would look at is, well, I'm projecting a laser on the wall or on my target, and so I'm getting that feedback. And I would say, yes, that's true. Uh, but I'd say that the feedback I get from, you know, it's the first product I can combine with with dry fire software. And that software I think is even more immensely valuable than just your standard practice where you're looking at a, a laser dot on the wall. Well, you'll, you'll also get uh, time related feedback if you uh, pair yes. it with some of those programs. And uh, you mentioned LASR. We are pretty biased toward LASR for a number of reasons, mostly because we think it's the best, but you know, I'll, a laser, the laser dots compatible with tons of systems. LASR, Mantis Laser Academy, the G Site mm-hmm. app, the I Dry Fire system. Talk about a piece yep. of junk. Uh, the I Target system, the Laser Light targets, the Strike Man yep. app, and the Laser Hit app. I mean, just to name however many that was. A so, <laughs> yeah. So all of them. Those, those are good programs that are going to give you that kind of feedback. Um, and, and you could certainly not use a program. I just think that you then are arguably getting distracted with the red thing on the wall, uh, but at very least you're minimizing the amount of feedback you could be getting by not pairing it with one of these other tools. Yep. Yeah. So th- to summarize the laser dot, our third solution, it overcomes the safety concern. The laser dot in the gun does render it temporarily inert. With the laser dot installed, the gun cannot chamber a cartridge into the chamber. It cannot fire, therefore, a cartridge. And so while you have no visual indication until you press the trigger and see a little red dot, so I don't like it as much as the barrel block in the way it resolves challenge number one, it still does resolve challenge number one. It renders the gun temporarily temporarily inert. Our challenge number two uh, was feedback. And okay, now, yes, this, this is giving us the opportunity for feedback. Challenge number three, repeated uh, presses of the trigger. No, the laser dot does not overcome that challenge. Mm-hmm. That's what, and and so the laser dot. Okay, because we've been we've been given prices out here. The laser yep. dot you should know sells for fifty nine ninety five. Uh, there are competing products that I know goes up up to as much as a hundred dollars. So you're probably going to pay in about that price range for something like this. Yep. Cool. Awesome. Option number four. What's that one? The dry fire mag, and I don't love the dry fire mag myself, but I think it belongs on this list uh, because for some of you, it might be the best thing since sliced bread. You might love it. It really might revolutionize your your dry fire training for you. So the dry fire mag, to kind of paint the picture, is an actual magazine. It replaces the, the you know, factory mag that you would use with your gun. Uh, you shove it in there. And it's got this like pressure plate kind of thing that is hooked up to a pretty substantial spring. And as that as as you press your trigger, you're you're pushing that pressure plate, which is at the top of this dry fire mag, uh, to the rear. And it does give you a click, and then it does return the trigger forward. So, yeah. So some thoughts about the about, yeah. about the dry fire mag. Um, it, it, does it overcome challenge number one? Yes, it it does technically render the gun inert because you're the trigger's not actuating within the gun in the normal sense. A firing pin's not coming forward, but uh, I would still pair it with something else. If it was me, I would still barrel block it uh, if I was using the dry fire mag. Mm-hmm. Uh, challenge number two, does it uh, help us overcome um, the, the question of feedback? No, it's not projecting any sort of laser. It's not going. It doesn't interact with any sort of software. It you know it's doing nothing for feedback. Um, number three, does it give it re- give us repeated presses of the trigger? 
Yes, it does. Um, but it's worth noting that it's not the same as your trigger. So it's you're not getting the same take up, wall, break, and reset as your trigger. It's artificial. It's, it's the dry fire mags take up, uh, wall, break, and reset. And it's annoyingly loud, I might add. But other than that, uh, it's it's also semi expensive. I don't love it. Most of these things run about a hundred bucks, and it's limited in terms of the guns that it's available for. I haven't checked their website in a while, so for all I know, you know, today it's available for a hundred million guns. But last I checked, it was available for like four. Um, so anyway, it's it's relatively limited in its scope. That way, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yep, agree with all that. Yeah, kind of expensive uh, just to get a resetting trigger. Uh, so yeah. And again, I think there's some other approaches that we can take uh, that don't necessarily necessitate that we always have a resetting trigger. So I'm going to, again, I'm going to come back to that here in a little bit. Number five, solution number five, a reset trigger kit. Uh, this is starting to get up there in some of the more expensive solutions. Uh, I mean, a lot of people might think, uh, yeah, you know, the dry fire mag at a hundred bucks is expensive. Uh, but this one's probably in more like the $200 range. And I suspect that there may very well be similar things out there for other guns, other models. But what we're specifically talking about here is Glocks, um, uh, cause it's a known item for Glocks and it's an actual reset trigger, uh, a kit that you can replace your entire trigger housing inside the Glock just to get a resetting trigger. Uh, this is the same trigger essentially that they use in some of the, um, you know, Glock has some specialty models for uh, like learning or training environments, uh, armor type of environments, like like classes where you want to show how a pistol functions or, or works. Um, they have a couple, like there's a red model and there's a blue model and things like that. Uh, there's a cutaway model of a Glock. And anyway, I've seen some of those specialty models come with this special reset trigger kit, if you will. Um, but basically, again, this is a whole new trigger. So if you're going to go this route, you're probably dedicating a whole gun for this purpose. So the real true cost is not just like the $200 reset trigger kit. It's probably more like six, seven, eight hundred dollars because you're, I mean, you're not going to want to be taking your gun apart repeatedly to swap out your trigger every time you want to do dry fire. And not to say, you know, not, not to talk about the, uh, uh, the wear and tear that that will take on the gun as you continually swap parts back and forth and you're popping pins and replace, you know, and putting them back in and stuff like that. So, so again, it's really a true cost. I, I really don't see this as a viable solution, except for the most dedicated uh, uh, of shooters out there that are primarily focused on the Glock platform. Like probably maybe some of your most serious competitive shooters that dry fire like crazy, and they have the means to have a, a totally dedicated uh, uh, dry fire solution. Uh, to use one of these kits in. Yeah, I think it's well summarized. I, I don't, this is, this is the only thing on our list that I don't own. Yeah, uh, I don't either. own one. I've never used one. It doesn't appeal to me, but uh, yeah, it belongs on the, on this list because it is a potential viable option. 
that you could use. And again, you're just you're you're buying a the the ability to have a trigger reset uh, between presses on a striker fired gun. So, yep, yep. your mileage may vary as far as uh, how <laughs> how you know valuable that is to you. Uh, going to solution six. Uh, this is a popular one, uh, not inexpensive, um, but it's definitely a great option. And that is the cert pistol. So I have, I have here my 320 model here. Uh, the most popular model, I mean, and the one that's been in the longest existence is the Glock shaped model or the model 110 as it's, uh, properly known. And so, I mean, why don't you speak to this one a little bit, Jacob? Yep. So there are currently, as of this recording, I think five Glock models. I'll go through them, or excuse me, certain models. I'll go through them here in a moment. Mm -hmm. But the idea is that it's a dedicated training laser activated gun. So this is this is not your gun. This is not your trigger. This is not your sights. This is not your, your grip, though it might be very similar um, CERT stands for shot indicating resetting trigger. So this is a dedicated gun that does have a resetting trigger. So you have multiple uh, trigger presses. So let's just quickly like compare it against our challenges, right? Challenge number one, render the gun temporarily inert. Well, this is a dedicated training gun. It, there's no way it can fire projectiles. So that problem is solved. Um, number two, we want to get feedback. Yep, this thing projects a red laser or a green laser, depending on the model you have. So yep, it does that for sure. Uh, number three, we want a resetting trigger. Yeah, it's right in the name. Shot indicating resetting trigger. So the, the trigger is going to reset for me in a way that's probably very similar to a stock trigger on on, on a gun. Um, but again, it may not be exactly the same as your gun. Uh, certs are, were originally the, the 110 and jeez, uh, oh, I'm going to lose all the model numbers. But the Cert 110, which comes in a varying di you know different designs, is, is basically your Glock 17. So you can get it with the metal slide or the plastic plastic slide or the red laser, the green laser, the red take-up laser, and the green shot indicating laser or whatever. But basically, it's the Glock 17. Uh, so that, that's that's the original CERT. You have the CERT 107, which is the M&P. Just think full-size M&P. That's, that's what that looks like. You have the CERT pocket pistol, or PP, uh, which is very Glock 43 M&P um, shield-ish. Uh, it's not actually, it's the only cert that's not really supposed to mimic exactly another gun. It's just meant to be very similar to a lot of these kind of micro compact uh, guns. You have the uh, cert P320 compact and a cert P320 full size uh, that kind of rounds up the, the cert handgun product offering. And again, various different options for different colored lasers and uh, and weights and things like that. But you're probably in the ballpark and cost between 210 bucks and probably four hundred plus dollars, depending on the model. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as has been you know touched on, uh, and I'll just highlight one more time uh, for clarity's sake. I mean, we have a dedicated pistol that's safe to use. You get accuracy-related feedback, and you get a resetting trigger. So it's hitting on all three of those for around a two hundred-ish dollar price point, maybe a little bit more than that. Uh, you know, we sell it on our site for one of the most competitive prices available out there. Uh, and I mean, that's what's hitting on all three of those. So for a dedicated solution, it's very cost effective because the last one we talked about, the Glock specific resetting trigger kit that costs $200 ish to get just to buy the kit. And then you got to dedicate a whole pistol for that purpose. 
but you're not getting the you 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 are obviously getting a, a benefit on the safety aspect. So challenge number one, you're getting a resetting trigger for multiple shots. So that that's cool, but you're not getting you know the the laser that's coming out of the gun. So and again, the, having the laser is not the most important thing in my world for all the dry fire practice I do, but the cert pistol is my go-to choice for multiple shot drills, if you will, in a dry fire software like laser app. And that, and in that, in that way, it has immense value to me. And I was so excited when they came out with the 320 model, because that's my carry gun. And I did, I continued doing dry fire work with the Glock model for years, even after I was already carrying a 320. And, you know, the fact is I had come over from from carrying Glocks and shooting Glocks and being very familiar with Glocks. Uh, and honestly, it wasn't a big deal for me to switch back and forth between the Glock-shaped cert for dry fire use occasionally there and go over to my 320. It really didn't matter to me that much, but it was super cool to have. I mean, yeah, I know that some of you are going to have uh, you know, an H and K or a CZ or something and, 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 you know, okay. So they don't make a cert model for you. Um, but maybe choose the model that's closest to, to what you, uh, what you carry. Uh, I think with the, like say the VP nines and the P thirties from HK, you're probably going to find that either the, either the 320 or the M and P model is going to be a little bit closer in feel, uh, particularly the grip and grip angle. Uh, as opposed to say the, the cert 110, the Glock shaped one. Um, so if you know, there's, there's options where you can kind of choose something that's, it gets you close to what you typically use or carry or shoot. And it's just a great solution when you want the whole package, accuracy, feedback, time, feedback, resetting trigger, safety factor, all of that. That's why we recommend it. Uh, on our website, we have a uh, article called the, ultimate cert training pistol buyer's guide. And there you, Mm -hmm. there's some extensive pictures. There's even dimensions outlines. You can print if you really cared to, to try and find out which cert pistol is closest to yours. If you don't have one that perfectly corresponds to one of the existing certs. So that's something you can check out. For example, I really like my FN 509 midsize and there's no cert FN 509, but it's it's pretty dang comparable to the P320 compact cert mm-hmm. in terms of the way it feels and its dimensions. So, yeah, um, yeah it, the potential downside probably is that it, it may not be available in your gun. It's a little bit on the more expensive side relatively, but if you're committed to, to dry fire routines, it's probably a, a very justifiable expense. And you might, if you know, if you're if you are buying one despite not having a corresponding to get corresponding to your gun, you might have to also purchase a holster to put that cert gun into. True. True. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Uh, one great thing, you know, again, with the 320 model is it goes in my 320 holsters. Awesome. Yeah, exactly. Super cool. Yeah. Our seventh solution in terms of these products we've been talking about, and it comes in at the most expensive, uh, notwithstanding the dedicated trigger reset kit like I talked about, but uh, at a little more than $300 is the Cool Fire Trainer. You know, the cool fire trainer is pretty dang awesome because <laughs> you, you know you this actually just popped into my head jacob that you know we talked about three challenges plus you listed a fourth bonus challenge uh with respect to dry fire practice 
honestly, there's really a fifth bonus dry fire challenge, and that is you don't get recoil. Sure. In sure. dry fire. Yeah, it, only, it, we kind of accept that to the degree that we don't even think of it as a challenge, but it's it's a valid truth, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is definitely a legit limitation of dry fire practice. Uh, pre Prior to the existence of a cool fire trainer, the only true dry fire solution I was that I'm aware of was, well, there were some very expensive law enforcement, military intended products that did exist, but really for regular old Joe's and Jane's out there, it was a, a airsoft gun that, you know, gas blowback airsoft gun that, uh, and there's some really great options out there for that, that are very realistic, that are true to form and shape and design of, of actual guns that have even triggers that are very, very similar feeling to their, their real life counterparts. But the recoil from those was not even close to realistic. Uh, you know, not to mention you actually have to fire a projectile. Well, you can run an airsoft gun without. You can, uh, you can, you can do that, but, but the way they are stocked out of the, out of the game, you're going to get slide lock. Sure. Sure. You know, so I had a, I had a method. I, I've run uh, uh, my airsoft gas bullock airsoft guns many times without uh, uh, shooting projectiles. Actually, probably more times without projectiles <laughs> than with. And, and and I simply had to. Uh, I, I found a way of of just locking down the magazine spring so it wouldn't actually lock the slide back. Yeah, sure, uh, sure. That would be not too bad of a solution. Not very hard to do. Not irreversible either. But anyway, point is like. The cool fire trainer came along. Now all of a sudden, how does this work? Well, you take apart your gun. So first, obviously, make sure the gun's safe. Take it apart like you like you normally would, like you're doing a, a field stripping and cleaning. You pull the recoil spring assembly out. You pull the uh, the barrel out, and you drop in the cool fire trainer barrel and the cool fire uh, recoil spring assembly, and then you reassemble your gun, and then you charge it with CO2 gas. Uh, there's a variety of options for that. There's, uh, uh, you know, everything from little tiny tanks you can just buy on Amazon to SodaStream uh, CO2 tanks and adapters to larger kind of commercial size, you know, solutions. You charge the the barrel. Okay, the barrel is the CO2 charged tank, uh, you know, of, of compressed gas. And bam, you're off to the races. You press the trigger. And the whole thing fire, you know, fires in quotations, uh, and then cycles and resets your trigger just like as if you fired a real gun. And the recoil impulse, while it's different than live fire, and it's certainly probably not quite as extreme as live fire, it's a lot more stout than the recoil energy that you get from an airsoft gun. So it's the closest thing I have st- seen and still have come across in dry fire to having a realistic operation and realistic feeling uh, dry fire solution, you know, to, to compare, compare it to live fire. Super, super cool system. A bit expensive, yes, 300 and some odd dollars, but it, it's a great system. And it, I mean, it works great. It's pretty reliable. You have to do a, a little maintenance to it occasionally. And, uh, you know, if you do another enough thousands of, of shots through it, you might have to send it in occasionally for some servicing, which might cost you a little bit here and there. So there's some ongoing maintenance costs. But if you're really serious and really dedicated and want the most realistic operating feeling 
use your real pistol, all that solution. Cool fire trainers. It. Yeah. I actually like that. The recoil is not as realistic. I know it's going to sound crazy, but if I'm doing dry fire and I care about recoil, it's, it's all about me reacquiring sights, right? As the gun is cycling and it being a slightly less aggressive than actual real life, live fire recoil is helpful. It's, it's like, it's like being in a practice environment right, where someone's giving me a handicap, you know, so it's a little bit easier for me. And so I actually appreciate that it's, it's, I'm getting recoil and it's pretty good, but it's not realistic, perfectly recoil. So anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a fan of its uh, attempt at getting me recoil. That's not quite as, as aggressive as live fire, uh, I, but maybe I that's just me. I think, yeah, I mean, I'll say this much. There's value in having it. Yeah. Uh, there's yeah, yeah. value in the fact that you press the trigger and you're doing dry fire and your sight picture is disrupted. And so you're forced to actually grip somewhat properly, have decent recoil management. And this, the goal is the same. Get the sights to return back to their starting point, position zero, if you will, uh, as quickly as possible and reacquire that sight picture for follow-up shots. There's value in that. I think for serious training, if it was, you know, the, the closer you could get to the real life thing, the more value that would be present there. Um, but again, it, I think it's a fantastic solution and it's the, it's the best thing out there for, for this purpose. And so now what does a cool fire trainer get you in terms of solving these, these challenges? You get a safe, you know, the, the safety is built into the system. You're completely removing critical components to the gun, to the operation of the gun, to where it's not going to be able to fire live ammo. All right, so cool. Number one, checked. Uh, number two, you're, you can get accuracy feedback, actually. So I didn't mention that, but you can buy their laser module for it, and boom, you can get accuracy feedback as well as time fe- feedback running it with dry fire software programs. Number three, you get a resetting trigger because the gun's going to operate and recycle itself just like normal operation, boom, resetting trigger. Even if you know, even if you're a DASA gun you user, uh, where your first trigger presses double action, the subsequent trigger presses are single action. People will talk about how DASA guns are great in dry fire because you can just keep working the trigger. Well, in the case of the Cool Fire Trainer, you're getting the actual realistic DA to C to SA transition uh, from first to second shot. Uh, there's value in that as well. So check on all of those points. Uh, you're getting the bonus, uh, uh, you know, challenge solutions of the re- of the recoil uh, simulated. So that's great. That's awesome. Uh, it's just a it's a great solution. I mean, it's not a perfect solution. It's not an inexpensive solution, but it's an awesome solution if you want probably the best dry fire uh, product solution out there. It solves pretty much all the problems. Yeah, I, I think it has its downsides. I think uh, one downside is having to recharge the air often. And the larger your gun, the less you're going to have to recharge your air because the barrel acts as the air tank, right? So a smaller gun is going to hold less air and therefore you have to recharge it often. Um, If you are using it with their optional laser module, you have to unscrew and remove the laser module every time you recharge the air tank. So that could be a bit of a pain in the butt, right? Like I'm I'm running my Glock 19, I'm going to get about 15 shots. Unscrew laser module, set down, recharge tank, set down tank, screw air mo- laser module back on. I got 15 more, mm-hmm. and then I have to repeat that all again. Yep. So 
that uh, that doesn't mean I don't like it. I'm just clarifying that it's it it does you know it doesn't make my it doesn't transform my life into you know puppies, rainbows, and roses. Uh, it's 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 an awesome solution for a dry fire. I do think it's the closest thing to real as you can get. Um, but I don't reach for it every time I do dry fire practice either. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, again, bar- partly because there is a setup uh, cost in time. Uh, you know, similar to like I, I talked about, well, it takes time for me to set up my competition gear. Uh, so I don't always want to do that. I want to just jump into some dry fire. So, you know, I tend to just do dry fire with my live gun uh, in a standard format. Uh, but yeah, it's a great solution. Now, there's a comment or question from uh, someone on Facebook. Is the cool fire the only way to use the Manus X dry fire? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, answer is no. Use, you can you can use Manus X with a with an airsoft gun. Actually, that's how they demo it at their trade shows. So you well, don't you can have use to have, it with without any of that. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, with with yes. Mantis, yeah, you, you just go just, to the settings and you you can choose either live fire, CO two, or dry fire. Mm-hmm. And so if you just choose dry fire and you just press your trigger, even though there's no recoil or blowback, it will it'll work. You just have to set the setting accordingly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Well, there's actually lots of ways and options to use the Mantis uh, system. So. Uh, yeah. which is actually one of the cool things to its, its uh, versatility and viability. Speaking now, I don't of which, put it on our list of solutions because it does not solve our number one challenge. Mantis does nothing to render your gun inert or safe, but um, it still, it still does provide your feedback and feedback is good. That's interesting. Your, your logic to that anyway, uh, just the fact that it does nothing for the number one challenge. Hmm, okay. Yeah, use it with a barrel block. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, like, and, and that's honestly, that's the way I think Manus X should be used. If you're doing Manus X pra- practice, if you're not using Cool Fire or some other uh, uh, standalone solution, then I absolutely think you should use the barrel block, use your actual gun, hook up Manus X, and get the uh, trigger uh, press, you know, feedback, if you will. That's essentially what it's doing primarily is monitoring gun movement while you're pressing trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that's where I want to come in now at the end of this, the tail end of this episode. I know we're actually over time a touch, um, but I just want to give a couple of things. And I've talked about it before in the podcast, but uh, <laughs> some of these solutions people are going to look at and be like, oh, those are expensive solutions for me. And I, I recognize there's many of you out there. I mean, there was a time in my life too where I didn't have the funds to just go, you know, drop 329 bucks on a cool fire system. Cause I wanted to get the latest, greatest, you know, awesomest, uh, most beneficial dry fire, you know, practice solution. There are ways you can mitigate, I think would be maybe the word, uh, some of the challenges like what we discussed today. So the, the whole resetting trigger conundrum, for instance, um, so I, I didn't understand this or fully appreciate this for quite some time in my own dry fire practice, but uh, getting more acquainted with some of the, uh, I would say, professional kind of level competitive shooters out there and getting familiar with how they do some of their dry fire was where this came up. And I was like, oh, never even thought about that. Or I, I guess I would have thought that there wasn't value or benefit in doing that. All right. So here's the thing. A lot of times these days when I'm doing dry fire practice, I have my barrel, and I have a, you know, just a P320 lower here, you know, just to use as an inner example with a real life trigger here, uh, but doing this obviously in a safe manner. 
<clears throat> so dis disassembled 320. Okay. So I used to think for the longest time to do dry fire, I had to get click, 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 click. And therefore, one of the limitations, like the challenges we were talking about, was the fact that I don't get a resetting trigger. And there's all these solutions that exist solely for the purpose of providing a resetting trigger, which, by the way, has its purpose and has its its own benefit and own, own value, recognized value. But a lot of my dry fire these days, guys, consists of me setting my gun, okay? So I have a, an initial click on the first press, and the rest of my subsequent presses are just manipulating the trigger. From roughly the, well, not even necessarily always the reset point. There's plenty of times I'm, I'm doing rapid trigger presses. I'm, I'm com coming completely off the trigger because the truth is in actual live fire practice, when I'm shooting rapid strings of fire, I'm coming off the trigger fully during reset. Okay. So here's the goal. All right. And this is one of the most valuable things for people to learn in dry fire. Your number one thing you need to figure out is how to do this without doing this. For those of you that are listening only, what was that? Press the trigger and not move the rest of the hand slash gun. That is the, and that honestly is the number one challenge that most shooters uh, struggle with. Is the number one thing I have to fix in shooters at the range is teaching them how to manipulate the trigger and not move the gun or not disturb their sights. All right. So how does this, that is manipulating the trigger back and forth when it's just spongy and there's no feedback. In the case of you Glock users, you're like, well, my trigger doesn't even come forward at all. Guess what? Take your finger off of the trigger that's stuck to the rear and you're gonna keep pushing the trigger into the trapped trigger that's stuck to the rear. Just keep manipulating your finger. Da, 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 da. Feel free to be vigorous in that trigger movement. Because what that's going to do is it's going to exaggerate the difficulty level of keeping your hands, your grip, and everything steady on target while you're watching your sight picture. Since I learned that simple concept of just continuing to ma manipulate the trigger while I, while I monitor my sight picture, that's actually where some of my biggest, most recent gains in dry fire practices come from, is that simple technique. So I'm just going to try and re-summarize what you just shared. Please do. W without any visual to try and, in case anyone's lost. What Riley's mm -hmm. suggesting yep. is that even though on most guns, like striker fire guns, you, when you press the trigger, you the, the trigger becomes dead and you need to cycle the slide in order to reset it. Riley is suggesting that much can be gained by ignoring the fact that your trigger is now dead and just, for lack of a better word, Pretending it's not and yep. just still running the finger the same way as if you were manipulating the normal trigger, even though it's dead to whatever degree that is on your particular gun. Yep. Yes. Perfect. And, and even maybe manipulating the imaginary trigger, uh, even more aggressively than normal because it just, here's, here's what I, I, I believe. Accentuating the deficiency. Yes. It, it, it's a it's a common uh, sports uh, performance term or, or three practice, bats. Uh, referring to overload. You train for overload, so you push things beyond the realistic uh, uh, performance envelope, if you will. So that in practice, you do things harder than they actually are in real life. And so, if you actually impart 
greater than needed finger manipulation power into the gun, it makes it harder to hold on and keep everything still as you're monitoring your sight picture. So the reality is when you then go to manipulate a real trigger, it's actually a little bit easier. I love it. I'm yep. going to add just a quick summarized view and an opinion. I think we, you know, I've tried to be very factual and just present some information here, but I'm, I'm going to share my two cents on this and, and give my wrap up on this topic. It is my opinion that as a gun owner who Did we lose Jacob? Maybe it's me. Maybe it's Jacob. All right, viewers, comment. I don't, let us. I don't know who it was. Oh, oh, you're back. Okay. All right. I don't know if that was me or you, but at well, this point, I'll I'll fix that in post post production here. But let's go back to you were saying. Yes, it's in my opinion, and then you you froze. It is in my opinion that every gun owner who desires to conduct any amount of dry fire needs to own a barrel block. I think a large percentage of your dry fire can be conducted safely and effectively with nothing more than a $12.99 barrel block that comes with mag blocks. So it is my opinion that that's just a required element if you intend to conduct any dry fire. The second item that I would, like if a person was just like budget conscious and doesn't want to go buy all the seven solutions we presented today. The second thing I would strongly encourage is the laser dot trainer. I think between those two items, the barrel block and the laser dot, I could conduct a large percentage of the dry fire I conduct and get a pretty good ROI. And then on occasion, admittedly, I do get great value out of reaching for my cert pistol or my cool fire trainer uh, or both. So anyway, those are my two cents. I, I, barrel twelve ninety nine. Just go get it and 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 use it anytime it can be used. And uh, laser dot trainer is, in my opinion, the next low hanging fruit. And then from there, you can look at some of the these more expensive products, such as the cert and the uh, cool fire trainer, as your budget allows. Yeah. And and I, and I would just add, like, uh, don't overlook things like the Glocky trainer if you're a Glock user. Uh, you know, so I, I realized a moment ago I kind of you know gave this solution, if you will, uh, that maybe makes some of you go like, well, well, there's several of these products I suddenly don't need because of the suggestion Riley made. Um, I believe that there's still a time and a place for virtually all these products we talked about today. And I still use many of these on a regular basis, the same ones that Jacob mentioned, actually. So uh, I think there's a time and place for everything. And it, and it depends on what you want to get out of your dry fire practice. And so apply the appropriate tool for the thing that you are looking to achieve or accomplish and get to work. So that'd be my summary. I hope this has been a helpful episode for you today in evaluating your own dry fire practices and putting together the solution that works best for you and your needs with where you are at and your own skill level at this time. Uh, recognize that even some of the best shooters in the world still find value in and make time for dry fire practice, some of them in a big way. Uh, I think no matter your skill level, there's, there's great value to be had in dry fire. So I hope this episode has been helpful for you in finding applicable solutions today. So with that, one last shout out to our episode sponsors, XS Sites, 
exosites.com is where you can find them. I did confirm they have uh, veterans on their staff. So supporting a company like Exosites, you have you're supporting an American business making American products made by American veterans, and uh, you're getting quality product. All right, made in Texas. Exosites.com, also uh, laser.trainer. You can find it readyupgear.com. There's a direct link to the product in the show notes if you want to just use that. But uh, you can also just go to readyupgear.com and find the laser dot trainer. Also, the cert pistols you'll find on our website as well. Not on readyupgear.com, but at concealedcarry.com and a bunch of these other products we sell on our site. So I just thought I'd throw that out in case that wasn't clear. And so with that, it's time to bid you adieu, Jacob. Thanks again. Appreciate you. And uh, we'll be back here next week. Anything, any last words? Good to go. Thanks, Riley. Then a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Mm -hmm.